proud that our church family is a part of Converge. Uh, again, I appreciate uh, Dr. Shevlin so much. Uh, 2002, he's uh, served as president for 14 years. I can remember when he first spoke up at one of our conferences. And uh, he has always been an encouragement and inspiration uh, to me personally. Uh, I've learned so much from his leadership, watching him lead a complex organization like an association of churches. He's pastored churches, uh, small churches, mega churches from Minnesota to San Diego to Colorado. And I'm so glad that he chose to serve us in this way. The secretary, God bless you. Can you believe your pastor? I mean, here he is on vacation and he shows up just to introduce me. He ought to be in cutoffs and a T-shirt with his feet up someplace. And what a guy. You're a blessed congregation, aren't you? Yeah, you are. Hey, Dee and I are so thrilled to be with you this morning. Uh, we have watched Springbrook from a distance and heard the stories. And to be able to come and spend these few moments with you, we really we really feel privileged. You saw that video, and it's a good one, but it means more to me because when I watch those pictures, I see pastors that I know and churches that I've been in and people that are serving God around the world. And, uh, and I have a hard time watching every time without each of those stories kind of playing through my head. So I really do want to spend the few moments we have together just kind of gaining the sense of what we do together for the name of Jesus all over the world. So we're going to look at an account that I think really pictures our mission is in Acts chapter 8. It's the story of Philip as the Lord brought him and his family to a certain city in Samaria. The background of this story in Acts chapter 8 is, is that Stephen, who was an incredible voice of understanding that Jesus was more than just the Messiah who'd come to restore the kingdom to Israel, but that his message and his ministry of the cross was greater than the temple, it was greater than Jerusalem, it was greater than the Jewish people themselves, that God had brought Jesus to this world, his son for all peoples. And because he proclaimed that, because he taught it and he did it with power, he was hated for it. And Stephen was stoned in the streets. And Philip, his friend, watched him fall. And it was kind of like Philip who got that message too, reached down and picked up the banner that had just fallen. And as the church is scattered from that persecution, Philip takes his family into Samaria and when he goes there, he brings Jesus with him. I'm going to have you do something with me this morning. Why don't you stand with me in honor of God's Word? Would you do that, please? I'm going to read it this morning. If you'll follow along, Acts chapter 8, beginning with those four, verse 4. It says this, Those who had been scattered preached the Word wherever they went. Now Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip, and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Now, catch this. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Lord, thank you for the influence and impact of Springbrook Church and so many lives and so many families across this community. Thank you for how you've broken through in the dark places and messy places. Now you've made yourself real. 
You have been to us, Lord, everything that we've needed. We sang it just a moment ago about the grace, that unmerited, loving favor that you bring into our lives every morning, brand new. How desperately we need you. Lord, our desire is is that what we found in you will be able to bring into the lives of people all over the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't even know where to go with the time that I have this morning to talk about how the ministry of Philip is really the ministry we share in communities like the Samaritan City all over the world. I had a chance a few years ago when I was traveling from one place to another place of ministry to get on a plane. And uh, this time was a different time because I got upgraded to first class. It was my day. I got to tell you, first class is better than coach. And I got up into first class and I thought, this is good. A big comfy seat. Flight attendant came and asked what I wanted to drink and is there anything else she could do for me. And, and I was enjoying this. Then a guy came and he sat next to me. I shared the flight with him. He wasn't bumped up into first class. He always flies first class. And this particular guy heads up a number of companies and very successful. And he was a talker. I'm a good listener. And so I got to hear his story. And he talked about flying this day from one home that he had in the north to another home that he had down south. Uh, I was dreading the moment when he was going to turn to me and say, and what do you do? Uh, being able to say, well, I'm a preacher. Kind of, sometimes the conversation stopper. And so I was kind of waiting for that moment. I was thinking about it. And, and so I was ready for it. And so when he got done, he turned to me and he said, and, and what do you do? I said, well, I'm the president of a multinational company. I said, I've got 1,200 offices across the country. He didn't know I was talking about churches. I said, we've got agents in 27 countries around the world. He didn't know I was talking about missionaries. And I began to go on and tell about this. And, and he turned to me and he said, wow, really? And I said, yeah, really? And then I told him the truth. And uh, when I got done, he turned to me and he said, so you... You're a preacher? And I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a preacher. And he says, you work with, with evangelical churches? And I said, I do. And then he said this. He said, my sister called and she said she had just become a Christian. And she's going to one of your kind of churches. And, and I don't get it. And I realized I wasn't kicked up to first class by accident. That God had given me an appointment there to explain to this man how Jesus had just come into his sister's life and is knocking at his own door as well. But to get the picture this morning of this one person, Philip, who decided to go to Samaria when probably most folks in the church of Jerusalem had not given Samaria a second thought. And when they did, it was usually a superior thought and a thought of indignation towards this group of people who were kind of Jewish half-breeds and whose theology was all messed up. But somehow Philip must have heard about the day that Jesus stopped in a Samaritan city, met a woman at a well, drew a crowd because he knew everything about her life and told her about water that springs up on the inside that you, once you have it, you never have to go to a well again because it springs up forever. And maybe heard too about Jesus' teaching about a good Samaritan who loved somebody with God's love in a way in which Jewish leaders hadn't. Whatever the reason, he understood the message of Jesus was not just a message for his own people, but for everybody. 
And so he took his family to the city in Samaria. And here in this passage, it describes how he brought Jesus with them. And the question I want to answer in just the next few moments with you, I want us to think about it, is what is it that you and I bring into the places where we have influence that is meant by God to bring people's life out of brokenness, out of messiness? None of us are totally free of that, but into a place where joy breaks in because God meets us where we most need him. That's this story. And what we see right from the beginning is that what, the, what Philip brought into the city that brought joy was that he brought the good news message of Jesus. Look with me at that fifth verse where it talks about this. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed Christ there. It tells us down in verse 12 that they, it says that they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ and they were baptized, both men and women. Philip didn't come to the city to try to convince them that they needed to adopt the Jewish faith. He didn't come with some religious principles or traditions that he wanted to practice. He had no interest whatsoever that they would turn from their Samaritan culture and become more Jewish. He came with the name of Jesus that was so personal to him and his family that had changed his life forever might come into their lives, that they might hear the message of God who loved them so much that he sent his own son into the world to make it possible for their sins to be forgiven, for them to be brought home to the God who made them for themselves. I had the chance to go back a while back to the church I first pastored in Little Mountain Village of Estes Park. Dean and I will actually be there this fall for their 60th anniversary, but the last time I was there, I walked into the office and Marge was there. She was now the church secretary. And when she saw me, she said, Pastor Jerry, and she came up and she hugged me and we talked a little bit about the old days. I remembered her. I remember her husband, who was an alcoholic, who always promised that he'd come to church with him one day, get his life together, and he'd be there with his wife Marge and their beautiful son and daughter. And it didn't happen. For some reason, he just simply became a man of words and his heart was never really drawn to God. And I did his funeral. But Marge was so faithful. And I met her there in the office. And she said to me something I'll never forget. She said, uh, Pastor Jerry, you were the first man to ever tell me that I was precious to God. I never thought about it much, the privilege to say when you tell people, that Jesus isn't just meant to bring about the kingdom of God, but he is meant to bring God's plan and design and reign into your life because you matter enough that God would buy you back at the price of his own son. And Philip had experienced that. His girls had experienced it. His wife had experienced that. And that's what he wanted, the city in Samaria, to come and, and to feel, to taste, to know this real in our ministry and Converge, that's, that's the big deal. We're not about a whole bunch of secondary stuff. We, we really don't care much if the church somebody ends up in has our name somewhere in the bulletin. We're mostly concerned that churches that are raised up in places around the world bring Jesus into people's lives in life-changing, transforming ways. 
just a few weeks ago on Memorial Day weekend, Dee and I were in San Diego, and on that Monday, Memorial Day, we went to Coronado, which is really a Navy town, and the SEALs train there a good percentage of the time, and you can't go there without seeing the Navy pilots practicing their takeoffs and landing. More retired admirals live in in that little town of Coronado than any place in the world, and they do a great Memorial Day service. We were there for that service in the middle of the city in the park because one of our converged chaplains, David Carlson, was opening and closing the service in prayer. It was a great Memorial Day service. We're so grateful for our country, so grateful for men and women that love this nation enough to serve it. And when we got done with the service, we went and saw David. He didn't know we were there. And uh, just thanked him again in behalf of you and our converged churches for not just representing our country and representing us, but representing Jesus. Because you see, that's the passion of Chaplain David's life. Matter of fact, for three years, he served the chapel in San Diego that all the young Marines and Navy men and women who were getting ready to be shipped off to Iraq and Afghanistan would pass through that town. And David loved young Marines and and he would go out and train with them, and uh, quite a guy. And, and for those three years, he pointed them to Jesus in preparation for a life-and-death mission. And over a thousand young Marines and Navy personnel not only came to faith through David's ministry, but were discipled and baptized before they shipped out. And I look at David and I say, he's what we're about. This is what we do together. Dee and I, not long ago, were in Denver, Colorado, and one more brand new church plant that was meeting in a theater and they had now bought the theater and were kind of remodeling it. And uh, we spoke there that Sunday morning. And when I got done, the sound man who had wired me up like I got wired up this morning, guy, I wondered about his story. He, had, he, he, he looked like some of the Colorado guys I knew from back when I, when I served there. He had long blonde hair that went down to his shoulders and John Lennon kind of spectacles on his face and he looked like he had lived quite a He had a story. And when I got done preaching, I tried to get out the door and he came out to me. He wasn't coming to get my microphone. He came and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he says, you know, I was as far from God as anybody you can possibly imagine. The church hired me to install the sound system here. I was curious enough. I came to the service. I've been here ever since. And then he said to me, thank you for Converge. Thank you for starting this church here. If you guys hadn't started this church, I don't know how I would have ever found Jesus. What do we bring in the places where we work and serve and live and go to school that genuinely can bring the joy of God into people's lives? I was speaking over at our church in Gurney a while back. An African-American man came up to me and we had a long conversation about how God led him to an understanding. That's why God had him where he was at. He works in one of the companies in Chicago and is a sales manager and has 20-some people that work directly for him. And he said, one day I was listening to my pastor and I realized that I was as much a part of this mission as he was. I began to pray about God, what do you want me to do? And then I realized I was responsible for those 20-some people that worked in my office. And so I decided I'd get up an hour early every morning and I'd pray for them by name. And I'd get them to know them well enough I could pray for their mates and their kids. And I'd get to know their needs well enough I could pray for them specifically. 
And as I began to pray for them every morning, I began to say, God, would you open up opportunities where they could experience God's love through me and I could point them to Jesus? And he says, you know, after a while of my praying for them and getting to know them well enough, I could pray for them well. It was amazing how they felt the love of God in my life towards them. And one by one, they began to pursue me when the work day was done and we'd go out and they'd have questions and I'd begin to, to bring Jesus into their lives. He said, then someone in the office brought a false accusation against me of an impropriety. And the boss said, I'm sorry, but we're going to put you under formal investigation. And he said, I went back to the church and I explained what happened. And I said, you know, I should have expected this. If I got real about making Jesus known, I should have expected some kind of opposition. And he said, it came. And then he told me, he said, I got my wife's women's group praying for me. And I decided not just to pray an hour in the morning, but pray in the evening for God to not let this hinder why he had me in that office place. And he said, last Wednesday, my boss brought me in and he said, I've interviewed everybody that works for you. And every single one told me the same thing, that nobody has ever cared for them like you care for them. So whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. He had the biggest grin on his face. And I said to myself when I heard that story, that's why we do what we do. If we can raise up a circle of Christ followers in communities all over the world who know they're not there by accident, they're not in that neighborhood by coincidence, they don't go to that school by chance, they're not in that job just because they happen to be in that job. But the reason why Jesus came to their life and made it real for them was because they're on assignment. They may here be here for just for a while, brought someplace, but while they're here. You see, Philip wasn't a pastor at the church in Jerusalem. He was one of the guys. But he understood when he got scattered, he wasn't scattered to this city in Samaria by accident. He was there on assignment, and so he brought them the only news that can change a life forever, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. The second thing he brought that changed that community was they not only brought the message of Jesus, he brought the power of Jesus, the power of God's Spirit. Here's the most dramatic part about this message. Let me read it to you. I think I kind of underscored it the first time that I brought this to you, but hear this and hear it with fresh word. It says this, that when they paid close attention to what he said, and then verse 7, it says, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in this. Now I was trying to picture that happening at Springbrook this morning. I was going to think, what would it be like if we just came to normal church this morning? Worship team did an amazing job. Would you agree with me this morning? That was a set of music. I thought, boy, I wish that guest speaker wasn't preaching this morning. I could just sit here and sing all day. That was so good. But what if in just in the normal, what we expect to happen at Springbrook, all of a sudden I start preaching and I mention the name Jesus and you begin to hear people begin to shriek across the room. You'd have something to talk about after the service day, would you not? You'd say, boy, did we have something happen at church that we did not have, expect to happen. Well, there's a story behind this, and the story behind it is this. The eighth chapter tells us that there was a sorcerer in the city of Samaria. He practiced witchcraft of one kind or another, but he claimed it came from God. As a matter of fact, this man named Simon was so famous in the city, and he performed such miraculous signs the people called him the great power of God. But his power didn't come from God. It came from evil spirits. And he drew people into practices in that city that brought spiritual darkness upon lives. Occultic practices that opened people's hearts up to impure spirits. And so when Philip came there and he began to preach Jesus, 
a greater power entered that city. And the impure spirits that had indwelled people's lives, in some cases crippled those people, came out with shrieks. They had to leave the place because the power of God showed up. Now I'm picturing you, friend. I'm picturing you in your family relationships. I'm picturing you in the places where you'll go Monday morning and Thursday afternoon. And I don't know if you see yourselves as clearly as you ought to see yourself. But if you know Jesus, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And I'm going to send you to make disciples every place you go. And I'm going to be with you always when you step into the places where I have put you. Like that businessman I told you about a minute ago. You bring my name and you bring the power of God's Spirit that lives with you in that place. When you pray, you pray powerful prayers. You become an intercessor that brings the power of God into the place where you're at. And you represent the kingdom of heaven. When Philip showed up, a power greater than Simon's arrived on the scene and spirits that were impure needed to flee. This is a pretty dramatic story. and I've had it happen only once in my ministry. Or I was in a place where the occult was practiced by several individuals. And when I actually preached the name Jesus, shrieking did happen. Scariest thing I think I've ever been in the middle of. But I've never had it happen since most places where we're at. Satan has other schemes to bring people into bondage and into places where their eyes are blinded to the one true God. Places where they're kept like a veil over their faces from the good news, through a simple faith in Jesus Christ, we can be drawn back to the God who made us and set free from all the accumulated stuff that has happened because of people who have hurt us and because of our own sins and rebellions. Sometimes it's horrible addictions. Sometimes it's lifetime of family practices that become our anger, our resentment, our bitterness. Sometimes it just becomes idolatry in our life towards stuff that keeps God obscured. But every setting we step into to bring the name of Jesus, we step into settings where we're not just simply telling people a message. We're going into the darkness and we're bringing light. And that's what Philip was doing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Dee and I spend our lives these years going to places all over the world where the challenges are different. Every culture has its own unique code that has to be broken. Settings where there are own forms of idolatry and hardness of heart takes place. And God raises up people in that place in the power of the Holy Spirit that break through the stuff in people's lives so they can be set free to follow Jesus Christ. I'm always amazed when I see the places that we get to step into that we're a part of as a church and a group of churches. I'm at that point now after a number of years of doing this that I'm getting almost nostalgic about the settings God has let me be in. I'll never forget coming to Chicago one wintry day. Have you, have you had some snow this winter? Has it been? Yeah, okay. I heard about that. And it was one of those days and I didn't have GPS. I was following MapQuest. Remember that? And I got on this one-way street in a section of Chicago I was kind of afraid to be in. And I got on this street that stopped and there was no place to go. And I was looking for a YMCA where one of our new churches was meeting. And I got out of the car and bundled my coat around me. And I started walking down this street wondering, what on earth am I doing here? And this great big 
broad-shouldered, bodybuilding-type Latino guy started walking towards me down this street. And I thought, God, what have I gotten myself into? He was the pastor of the church. He directed the YMCA in the area and fell in love with young men and women who were on the streets in that part of Chicago. When he began to rescue them by giving them a safe place and pointing them to Jesus, he knew they needed a church. And so there's a church in that Y now, and he's the pastor of it. And so when I got in and I got to preach that morning, and I saw all of these, mostly Hispanics, some African-Americans, but people living in a part of the city that you'd probably not choose to live in. And listening to their worship, the vibrancy of it. It's like every hair on the back of my neck, my arm stood up. And I said, God, what a great thing. When somebody else, like a Philip, went into a Samaritan city and you raised up this pastor for this place and this people. God, what, what a breakthrough ministry. I had one week. I'll never forget it. On a Thursday night, I went to preach at a church that was being planted in the maximum security wing of the state penitentiary of, of South Dakota. It's called Lighthouse Christian Fellowship. They meet on Thursday evening. So I came in, went through all the security, all the gates, all the bars. And I came in to meet the leaders of, the, of this church before it started. And I, and I wondered where I'd find elders above repute in a, in a prison like that. And then I met these guys who are probably still there probably there all of their lives because of the sentences they carry for their offenses. But they found Jesus there and they've been radically changed and now they're raising up a church. When I met with the leaders, there was one guy, Native American guy, all bruised up. I said, what happened to you? He says, oh, I got too bold. He laughed with somebody this week about Jesus and he took it out on me. I said, tell me your story. And he did. And he said, you know, when I found Jesus and God changed. He said, my life was so different, they offered to move me from this maximum security wing to a minimum security facility. So I prayed about it. And I really believe God called me to be a part of raising up the church here. And so I stayed. When I left that evening, having an amazing evening with the folks that were there, I got into the free clear of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, part of me was left behind with those guys. I picture them even now. Here's the strange part of the story. I got in the car the next day on Friday, and I drove from Sioux Falls to the Twin Cities. And the church that I was scheduled to be in that morning, a church plant, was actually planted in the Mall of America, the largest shopping mall in the country. It met in the amusement park that's in the middle of the Mall of America. In those days, it was called Snoopy's Village. And they met in Snoopy's Theater. And so you can picture me, can't you, just having come from the maximum security wing, Lighthouse Christian Fellowship, and here I'm walking underneath the roller coaster and the other stuff and this shopping mall, this temple to consumerism. And I find Snoopy's Village and I preach to this new church in the middle of Snoopy's Village. And I go, this is crazy. Who would think of doing this? Putting a church in the middle of a prison and then putting one in the middle of a shopping mall. And as I'm thinking how crazy this, I realize... I think this is probably Jesus' idea. It may be that Jesus wants in every place where people gathered, in the middle of whatever bondage they're dealing with, to raise up a circle of a people of God who know that when they're there, the Spirit of God is present with them and the name of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any other force 
that comes into play. That's you. That's me. I preached about this uh, in Ramona, California, Mountain View Church. And when I got done, a woman came up to me afterwards and she said to me, Pastor Jerry, she said, uh, you messed up my life today. And I said, really? And she said, yes, on the way to church this morning, I was telling my husband in the car that on Monday I'm going to quit my job. And she explained to her husband that the women that she worked with in that place talked so foully, so profanely, so immorally about men in their lives. And she said, I could barely stand it. She said, I was going to quit. She said, no, I had to come and hear you. And you're talking about the fact that I go back in there and the light of Jesus Christ is more powerful than the profanity in this place. And she said, no, I can't quit. i got to stay. You mess things up. And uh, I said, I don't know if you're supposed to stay or not. But I do know this. That Jesus is alive in your heart. And you have no idea when you walk through that door how the kingdom of heaven has just entered into one more dark place. That's what we get to do together all over the world, starting and strengthening churches powerful enough in the gospel to transform communities, transform people's lives. The last part of what he brought that brought joy in the city is in the rest of the chapter. I don't have time to tell the story, but a church is raised up. The very first church in Samaria. You see Peter and John and the other apostles back in Jerusalem find out about what's happening in Samaria. And they go, we've got to go see this. And they saw that the same thing Jesus had done in Jerusalem he was doing among Samaritan people. And so they came and laid their hands upon these new believers And the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he had fallen on Pentecost. And the church in Samaria was born. And one more place, a circle of Christ's followers, was in that community as an outpost of heaven in that place. I had the chance. This is one of the best memories I have from serving you, serving our churches. I had the chance to be in Assam, India in a place where we had sent missionaries back in the early 50s, some doctors and nurses and evangelists and a school teacher, to a part of India that was on the northeast side, just uh, south of where the Himalayas separating China and India are at. And those missionaries were there for a few years, started a hospital, a school, started some churches, and then they had to leave. They were forced out by the government of India. But the good news took root there and the church grew up. And when I went to speak for the annual meeting among the tribal people, the Boro people, where the church took root, 5,000 of them came from their churches all across northern India to be part of these meetings. They built a temporary tabernacle out in the middle of a field out of sticks and straw. And 5,000 men, women, and children sat on the floor for three days, worshipped together, studied God's Word together. And when I was speaking... And I looked across this group of people so sold out that Jesus, I saw down front on the right a group of folks that just didn't look like Boros at all. They didn't dress like them, didn't have the same facial features. They looked entirely different. And I was curious about them. When I got done, uh, my counterpart among the moral believers said, uh, you've got to meet these people. And he explained to me that Boro evangelists had been going up in the Himalayas 
And they've been sharing Jesus with this tribal people up in the mountains. And these were the first 60 to 70 believers in the history of the church from this particular tribal group. And they had walked out of the mountains for three days to come and be at this meeting. So when I got down to, to meet them, I was introduced as the president of the group who had sent missionaries that had brought the good news message of Jesus to that part of India. And now the church had brought that message to them. And they grabbed the hold of me like I was the Apostle Paul. Took my arms, hugged me, grabbed me. Kids were grabbing my legs. They were crying. And through translation, they thanked me for making sure the good news got to them. And I thought, I was just a baby when those missionaries went out and they're thanking me, but they weren't really thanking me. They were thanking you. They're thanking churches like Springbrook that even now, as a team right now in India, one more time with Converge, raising up a crew of church planters that are going to be planting churches and villages and towns where thousands of people haven't ever heard the gospel. Man, that was a moment. Last year, right about now, Dee and I went to our oldest church in Converge. It's celebrated our 160th anniversary in Houston, Minnesota. When the first Swedish immigrants came to Houston, the southeast corner of that state, it was a territory. It wasn't a state. The only people that lived in that part of Minnesota were tribal people, Native Americans who welcomed these Swedish farmers warmly and helped them get established. And they'd come out of Sweden alive with a relationship with Jesus Christ, and God brought them there, and they formed a church. In a matter of a number of years, they mortgaged their homes and their properties to build a brick building that I was standing in when we did this 160th anniversary. And I thought, of generations of grandmas and grandpas and their kids and their grandkids and others who came and went from Houston, Minnesota, that in that place had loved each other and loved Jesus and pointed a community to Christ and sent out pastors and missionaries and people that came through went out stronger than when they came. And then we got on a plane and we flew to Panama City, Panama to be a part of the launching of a brand new international church. Dee and I went to this shopping mall where the church was being started in the middle of Panama, English-speaking, designed for internationals that live in Panama City to, to find Jesus. There's an escalator that goes up from the mall area up to where uh, the theater was at, where they were meeting. And Dee and I stood at the bottom of the escalator so we could meet the people when they were coming. The advertisement went off. People invited them. And we began to meet people from all over the world, from the islands of the Caribbean from Ireland and places like Great Britain and India and places where 20-some different nationalities now living in Panama City were coming for one reason, because they heard this was a gathering where English was spoken, and so they wanted to try it out. And so we greeted them as they went up the escalator when the service was done, and, and we stood at the bottom of the escalator to find out their stories as it went on. Uh, Dee, when it was done, turned to me and said, Never before have I ever been at a service 
where a brand new church is born. She said, there's nothing like it. I thought, wow, it's true. It's true. All it takes is a Philip. knows that Jesus is enough to step into a place and form a circle of Christ followers who bring light into darkness and are part of what Jesus is doing until he comes. I will build my church. Can I thank you again, Springbrook, for not only caring about this community and being the presence of Jesus every place that he brings you, but can I thank you for your partnership the lives of people you won't meet until you get to heaven who have found joy because somebody brought Jesus into their world and you and I had a part in it. Hey, God bless you. Thank you for letting me be with you this morning.